Good morning, uh, church family. I hope everyone had a great week, and I'm so glad uh, that we're here together to start off our week in the right way uh, by worshiping God and looking at His Word. Uh, Today, I'll actually be going over Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 45. That's Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 45. I'll go ahead and start uh, by reading this passage. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them And he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to them and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners." So we see a lot in this passage, um, but what I want to focus on is what Jesus decides to do when, in his moment of trouble, when he's stressed out, when he has despair. He decides to go to the his heavenly Father and pray. So my question is, what is our focus on when we pray? We all know we have a need to pray. If you've chosen to uh, to follow God, you have a need to pray. It's it's one of the factors that contribute to our spiritual growth. But in Jesus, we see here one he chooses to go to God in prayer, and he focuses on God's will. In the Garden of the Gethsemane, we as readers see Jesus praying, and he is focusing on the will of God. But we also see another part to the story that we'll get into later. Jesus's disciples are really focusing on the flesh. So what difference would it make in our lives and the lives of others if we as Christians, as we as the church, choose to pray with the will of God at the core of our prayer like we see Jesus doing in this passage? With that question in mind, uh, let's look at our text again. In verses 36 through 38, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Wow. So this is kind of a very unique passage because we see here Jesus really is truly distressed. He has a lot of anxiety in this passage. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to do two things. First, he makes the decision 
to go and pray. The second is he brings his closest friends with him. Okay? What does Jesus say to his disciples here? He tells them that he's stressed out, that he's in despair, that he's at the point of death. Wow, that, that's, our, that's the savior, our Savior talking to his friends. And, what is he, and it can't be understated the fact that when he's in trouble, he chooses to do these two things, which is going to God in prayer and bringing his friends along. Now, it's really ironic, as we know from this story, the disciples really do kind of let, let him down in this endeavor. But if we, were, if we look back in our text, we see kind of some poetic irony here. Because there was a time when the disciples ran to Jesus and said, Jesus, we're about to die. Like, don't you see this storm that we're in? Why are you sleeping on this ship? And Jesus kind of wakes up and is like, why, why is everyone... Why is everyone so worried? And he once again proves that why he's the savior. He tells the winds and the seas, like peace be still. And they are still. And the disciples, their minds are blown. They're like, wow, who is this guy who even the winds and the seas obey him? Now we see the shoes on the other foot. We see Jesus going to his disciples saying, I'm stressed out. I feel so, so much despair right now. I feel like I could die. And what do the disciples do later on in the story? they actually decide to go to sleep. So Jesus, again, he made the decision to pray. So what, what, why, why is he so stressed out? He knows what he's about to do. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, to put it in some context. He's about to be betrayed, and he's about to go forward with all these bad things that are going to happen to him, and he knows what's about to happen. Okay, That is what's stressing him out. And when I was thinking about this, um, if you, unless you've lived under a rock the last 10 years, you've probably heard of the Avengers movies. Well, towards the big climax of, of this genre of movies, our heroes, we see them stressed out. Uh, we see the big bad Thanos. They know he's coming and they also know they don't stand a chance against him. Okay, but there's this one hero that starts looking through millions upon millions of possibilities uh, and they're just sitting in anticipation waiting for this guy's answer. And he wakes up and he's like, I looked through 14,605,000 possibilities. There is only one way we can win. And that stresses them out. That stresses the Avengers out a lot because they know they can't do anything to mess up. Jesus right here, he, he's about to petition God looking for all those possibilities if there's any other way for this cup to pass from him. He knows he's that one way. He knows he can do it and he's willing to do it because he's humble. He's willing to submit himself to the, to the will of the Father. But he's looking through that one way because he knows what, what that one way is going to cost him. So what can we as Christians learn from just this little section is that one when we're in trouble, when we're distressed, 100% go to our heavenly father. He can take it. Um, the second part is don't suffer in silence. Our savior, our king didn't suffer in silence. He told his friends, even if they let him down, uh, he told his friends how much trouble he was in, how stressed he was in. We have to be doing that for each other. We have to be vulnerable with each other and we have to lift each other up. We don't wanna be going to sleep as we see our disciples later on in this story on our fellow brothers and sisters. And that's, that's how we can apply that section of our life to our lives. The next section, um, verse 39 
And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So my next question is, are we praying with God's will in mind? That's what we see Jesus doing here. Jesus is showing his followers, by example, the correct way to pray. Y'all, do you understand, like, if there's anybody on the planet that doesn't deserve what's about to happen to him, it is Jesus Christ. He understands that. He understands himself, too, that he doesn't deserve what's about to happen to him, but he is willing to do it for me and you. He's willing to do it because he loves the Father's will. Okay? And we see him so stressed out. Um, You know, in actuality, if you look at this passage uh, in another gospel, we know he's so stressed out, he actually at one point starts physically sweating blood. That I I have never been that stressed out in my life. Um, But we see that in in our Savior here. And I I think he's stressed out for two reasons. Um, Like the gospel works on so many levels, uh, we got to keep in mind... um, that Jesus is fully human. Uh, We saw him throughout his ministry. He got tired. He needed rest. Uh, He needed sleep. Uh, We do know he has a human body. So the pain of the cross has to be an incredibly intimidating factor of why he he is stressed out here, why he's at the point of despair. Uh, The Romans were masters of torture too, not to make anything easier. Uh, They were a culture that ruled with an iron fist and a more iron fist. Um, and they actually created the art, I guess, or the, the practice of crucifixion. So we know that uh, Jesus could be scared um, of the physical pain that the cross brings. But I don't think that that's his burden. You see, Jesus has his main burden. You see, if when we look at Jesus' ministry, he's already proven that he has authority over the flesh. He's healed people. He's healed the sick. He's even brought the dead back to life. Yes, that may be uncomfortable. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. But that, that's, that's not, I believe, why Jesus is, is at this point of despair. We, we look at his verbiage and he's saying, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me. Well, in the Old Testament, a cup is af- often used as symbolism for pouring out the wrath of God. You see, Jesus, we, we have him as our perfect Savior who's been in perfect communion uh, with the Father um, from even before he was born, you know, in a manger. And Jesus knows like, hey, I'm about to become sin, who I didn't know sin, so that the people I love can put on the righteousness of God. That's Second Corinthians 5.21 teaches us that. He's going to become our sin and take our place on the cross, take that full wrath of God so that me and you, by believing in him, don't have to. So he's not just focused, y'all, on the the physical pain. Um, He's also focused on what an incredible burden that will be. Because imagine being fully connected to the Father and having to do that, having to take the full wrath of God even though you don't deserve it. You see, Jesus puts the will of God first and he humbles himself. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. And he's like, you know what? 
I'm going to give up my, my right to say like, hey, I don't deserve this and I'm gonna do what the heavenly father sent me here on earth to do. He's showing us through his prayer the correct way to pray, putting God's will first. Y'all, back in 2011, and I don't like to think about it that that was a decade ago now, uh, I had the privilege of going to this training exercise called aerosol school. It's about a two-week course with a 67% uh, pass rate, which means about one-third of the people that go to it um, don't pass, don't graduate, um, and, and don't get that qualification. Well, one of the events that actually washes people out the most is what they call sling loads. All that is, is we as aerosol alt troopers will prepare and inspect a load to be put on a helicopter and taken uh, forward to the front so it can resupply troops that are in need so we can continue the fight faster than the enemy. Well, one of the things that they do is the instructors only show us the right way to do it. They actually don't even let us do it ourselves because we're the inspectors in, in this scenario. And what they do, they only show us the right way to do it and then they let us touch, our hand, touch the sling load, see it, and that's for about two days. Uh, and then on the third day, we get a little bit more time looking at the right way to do things and then we get tested. And on that test, there's deficiencies. There's errors in the sling, uh, in the sling load that we have to identify. If we don't identify them, uh, we, we will fail. And it's, you have to identify every single one, okay? Well, you go through that and that is the event. Identifying those deficiencies is the event that, at least in my class, it may vary from class to class, um, that washes out the most, most people, that causes the most people not to pass this course. Well, at the end of the course, they ask all, all the trainees like, hey, what's something we could have done better? And a couple of us raised our hands like, hey, it would have been nice to see what a mistake looks like. Uh, to, what our, to which our instructors replied, absolutely not. We will not teach you the wrong way to do something. We will not show you the wrong way to do something. We want you to be so familiar with the right way of doing something. As soon as you see an error, it sticks out and you're like, hey, that's not right. We need to fix it. You see, Jesus is showing us by example how to pray. He's showing us the right way. And it's us to up, us, up to us to follow that example. See, there are two ways to pray. One, um, we can pray with God's will at the forefront of our mind, which leads to power, growth, and effective prayer. And the other is, uh, we can pray with our own desires in mind. Um, which really, it, it, it's just that. If God grants it, we may, we may say a prayer of faith praise, but it's not going to help us grow. It's not what Jesus did. It's not, it's not the right way to pray, okay? So how can we apply this lesson? We're not Jesus, right? And I want to say, don't pray an empty prayer. Just because we say, God, let your will be done at the end of a prayer doesn't mean we really mean that. We have to examine ourselves. We have to search our hearts and see, like, are we actually uh, putting the will of God first in our prayer. And many times, y'all, I, I haven't. Um, but what is the step that we can do is we can go to God and repent of that. Uh, we can admit, we can be honest to God because we can't fool God. You can put in God, your will be done at the end of your prayer. But if you don't mean it, if your heart's not there, it's not gonna fool God. You can maybe fool yourself, but you, you can't fool him. 
So one of the first steps is this, if examining our hearts and learning to, to humble ourselves and admit our faults and go to God and say, God, please help my will be your will. The other way, the other thing we can do is pray with spiritual things in mind. This great uh, question that I've asked myself, I, I was saved when I was 10 years old. I'm 30 now, so I, I've, I've been a Christian for around 20 years. Is often like, what is the will of God? Like, how do I know what the will of God is? It's right here. <laughs> it, it, it's in his word. Are we studying his word? Are we praying um, the way the Bible teaches us, the way Jesus showed us here? Are we praying with spiritual things in mind? Why did God come to the to the world. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Are we praying for the lost? Are we loving the lost like Jesus loved the lost? Y'all, it's, in, it's an incredibly effective thing uh, when you start praying for the things that are close to God's heart instead of the things that are close to your heart. Now, we see Jesus showing us the right way to pray, conquering his own fleshly desires as he's done throughout the entirety of his ministry. But we see his closest friends, right, falling victim to the flesh. In verses 40 through 41, we need to ask this question, or we need to understand this. We will do what we practice more. We will pray like we practice to pray. You see, as readers, we see Jesus as an anxious man in despair in this section. It's, it's very odd for us to see that. Um, it's very, and that's what's unique about this scripture. But we see him doing God's will still, despite he has every reason not to, because that's what he has practiced his whole life. Okay, on the other hand, we see his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, who Jesus went to, and asked him to stay awake with him, to keep watch with him and pray, we see them doing what they're used to doing, which is uh, obeying their fleshly desires. Now, to their credit, the disciples go on uh, and are fully sold out. They see Jesus' death on the cross. They see uh, his resurrection, and then they go on to live lives that are greatly dedicated to Christ, even some going to... Uh, going to their deaths, professing Christ. But from this illustration, we have two stories. We have a spiritual nature, the one that God gave us when we were born again, and we have our sin nature. You see, if, and that's where discipleship comes in and, include, and it can be applied to our prayer lives. We have to be focusing on the spiritual and the things that are close to God. If we're not taught to do that, if somebody doesn't show us that, like Jesus is showing us that here, we're going to default to what we know. We're going to default to what we have practiced, uh, which is obeying the desires of the flesh like we see the disciples doing here in this passage. So in our prayer lives, are we focusing on the things close to God's heart or the things close to our heart? Again, practice praying the right way. If we lack the desire uh, to pray for God's will, then the step one is to repent of that, to pray for God's will in our lives, in our prayers. Um, the next step, don't keep uh, praying empty prayers. Um, if, you're, if you know you're not praying the right way, if, if you can look throughout how Jesus teaches us to pray, if you know you're not doing that, then it's okay 
to take a step back. It's okay to go to a Christian uh, brother or a Christian sister that's more mature. That's what we're here for. We're here to build each other up and bring each other closer to Christ. Don't keep praying those empty prayers. Uh, You don't have to do this Christian walk alone. Jesus, our Savior, didn't do this Christian walk alone. He, he, he told his friends how much he, he was hurting. Um, and one thing I do want to point out, don't, don't be like the disciples of this story, but hurt with your Christian brother or your Christian sister. Pray with them and go along beside them. And pray with them with God's will in mind. The next thing um, I want to point out is we need to be keep bringing our concerns uh, to God. You see, we see Jesus going to God the first time, and we see him going to God again, and we see him going to God again. You see, we're not going to annoy God with our troubles. He cares about our troubles. He wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, for me and you, if he didn't care about our troubles because he saw our greatest trouble and met that need. Jesus here keeps going, going to the Father again and again and again. He's getting his mind right. He's actually preparing because uh, he, know he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to take the full wrath of God. He's getting his mind right. Um, he's choosing to follow God's will and he keeps going. He keep, keeps going Uh, to God and he's in communion with God saying, let your will be done. See, we see Jesus as as very nervous here, but guess what? As, As we as readers, we see Jesus as cool as a cucumber from this point on. Okay, at the end of it, our section, he tells his disciples, he wakes them up. He's like, get up, I'm about to be betrayed. Notice how the writers don't say like, hey, Jesus would nervously said, oh, guys, I'm about to come up, be betrayed. Like, come stay with me. He is is the leader that he's supposed to be. Um, He goes before trial to the Pharisees. He goes to trial before Pilate after this. And you know something? Jesus is so cool calm and collected and so like understanding of his authority he actually freaks out uh, Pontius Pilate who's interviewing him he intimidates somebody who by by no means like he doesn't know uh, who Christ is but he intimidates Pilate um, just with his demeanor with his presence with the authority that Jesus knows he has y'all Jesus did that he prepared for that hour through prayer we need to be preparing for our hours of trouble through prayer as well. Again, we see the two natures here. We see Jesus, he keeps going to God. He keeps focusing on the spirit again and again and again. We're not going to annoy God with our troubles. He loves us so incredibly much as we see as evidence through this story. Uh, and we see him with such power. A little shortly after this, when Jesus is in the process of being betrayed, we see his disciples, you know, waking up and not, again, kind of not doing the right thing. You see, when he's uh, handed over to them, one of his disciples takes up a sword and actually hurts another person, cuts off the chief priest's uh, servant's ear. And Jesus doesn't chastise his enemies. He chastises his disciples. He says, like, don't you know I have the authority? I could call 12 legions of angels to come at any point and rescue me. Do you understand how humble this prayer is now? This man, Jesus Christ, 
has the authority to command this unstoppable force to come rescue him at any point, but he chooses not to do that because he's focusing on on the will of the Father. We have to examine our prayers and we have to keep petitioning God as Jesus petitioned God. So in conclusion, I just want to... I just want to reiterate, like, we can change our prayer lives. We can go to God humbly in prayer. We can examine our prayer lives to see if we are praying with God's will in mind. If we aren't praying that way, we can ask God to change our mind. He knows our hearts already. So we need to be honest with him. We need to go before him and ask that our will be his will. Why? Because then that's where we can really get get in the nitty gritty. That's where we can really start growing, really start producing fruit with our prayer lives um, when we're seeking God's will first instead of our own desires. Practice praying the right way. Uh, know the will of God. Read the Bible. Um, that God left us his will through his word. If we're not reading that and praying with the things that are close to his mind that are evident through scripture in our prayers, hey, let's change that. Let's pray for the lost. Uh, let's pray for each other as Jesus prayed for his disciples. And again, just keep in mind, we can't fool God. And if we're practicing praying the right way, if we're practicing praying for the spiritual things instead of the earth, earthly things, that's how his church, that's how we as his church can truly be the light of the world that Jesus called us to be. Because I truly believe powerful prayer pre- precedes action. So just to reiterate, we can learn so much about prayer uh, through this specific example. We can learn how to pray correctly um, and we can learn from Jesus' example. You see, you and I were called to follow Christ, to be Christ-like. We weren't called to be like Peter, James, and John and we can learn a lot from those individuals, uh, but we also see their faults. We don't see any faults in Jesus Christ. We know he's worthy of following. We know that he came here uh, to save you and I. And we know that he perfectly fulfilled and carried out the will of God. That he took that full wrath for me and you. So praise God that you and I don't have to if we choose to follow him. So again, just prayer is so powerful. It's such a crucial tool uh, to our uh, development, to our pursuit of Christ. And we can learn so much through Jesus' example. I'd like to just close in a quick word of prayer and pray for y'all and pray for us as, as we go throughout the week. And I know Pastor Ridge will come up here and uh, speak some more. But if you could, just bow with me for a quick second. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much uh, for Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the example that he showed on the right way to do things. Uh, God, we pray that we can have that strength in our lives, that we can pray for your will to be done in our lives, that we don't just run to you um, in our troubles, seeking to be rescued from our troubles because you've already uh, saved us through Jesus from our greatest trouble, God. But I pray that in the midst of our troubles, we can have the clarity of mind to be praying for your will first as, as individuals, as Christian brothers and sisters, and as a church. God, We love you so much. We praise your holy name. We thank you so much uh, for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.